0: From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs.
1: Hello and welcome to Injury Insider on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For over 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good morning, Derek. Derek?
0: Good morning. Good to be here as always.
1: Absolutely. Before we begin the show, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by the Status Market and Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at (laughs) 404-777-HURT. So as I'm reading the intro, we got to rewrite
0: something. Yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking the same thing as you were. You were going through going that. through it. I know. All well, right. Well, it's, so, it's one letter that was recently added that now needs to be taken out
1: for a law period of time. Offices. Well, what about your sponsor?
0: Well, the, yes, you're right. Yeah, I forgot about that part.
1: The, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, yes. So I am the owner of the Status Market and Design, which is a retail store in Watkinsville, Georgia. And Derek, your second law firm office was above the Status Market. It was Correct. an old house, we found out, built in 1820, beautiful historic home in downtown Watkinsville, which is just outside of Athens. And dun, well, dun, dun.
0: two weeks ago tomorrow, which uh, no podcasts live forever, uh, we actually got a call early in the morning and the building had caught fire. Oh. It was a lightning strike that yes. occurred about midnight. Uh, Hit the gas long line. Long story, but ultimately gas line was ignited. It, it burned as a very small flame for an extended period of time that eventually caught fire and, and burned uh, the floor joist and a uh, floor in one of the rooms. But ultimately, the entire home including my entire office upstairs, was devastated by smoke damage. I
1: was just thinking while you were saying that, we... I am a podcaster also. I have the platform Status Life with Lita. We just did an entire show really unpacking it. So right, if anybody right. wants to know the details of the fire, what happened, I'm going to point you to that show because we yes, have a we yes. have a packed show today so we can't go into everything that it happened. And it's a great
0: show anyway. But, you need to go um, back and listen to I'm not, all I, I, I
1: paused. So I'm like, I'm not trying to do self-promotion but we you just should. talked about all of it in detail uh, and we don't have time today on your show. So if you want to sure. hear the details and everything that went down, the ins and outs, uh, specific to Status Market and Design, yes. your sponsor, and your second law well, office was there. I'll
0: say this, and, and thankfully, there's a blessing in everything, thankfully, in, in my situation— that was a second office. I did not purposely maintain any client files there. Those client files are actually all at my main office, which is in Lawrenceville, Georgia. But it was an opportunity to have a remote location and conduct business, literally a block away from the courthouse in downtown Watkinsville. It was an opportunity to expand my, my firm, and uh, you know, computers and furniture, those kinds of things can always be replaced. From work standpoint, we're not missing a beat. And the reality is that. Um, Even though that space, that that office, that location is no longer there, at least for a period of time, I still have everything going full speed at my office in Lawrenceville. So with that being said, any current clients, any potential new clients, uh, there's not anything that's going to be lost by the fact that the fire destroyed the the location in Watkinsville. It just means that instead of the work being done partially there in, in Lawrenceville as well, uh it'll all now be done in Lawrenceville, not in Watkinsville.
1: Right. All your computers were connected. Correct. You had told me that. So yeah. it, and everything is more computer based now anyways. Well, right? there,
0: there are a lot of lessons learned from COVID and one of the best lessons uh from a business standpoint and, and a legal standpoint is the ability to connect remotely and either work from home or in this location from that office or that this situation that office in Watkinsville so yes, the phone system was connected the computers were connected so sitting at my desk in Watkinsville I could see anything and everything there in uh, in Lawrenceville but also to connect directly with paralegals or anyone else in my office in Lawrenceville without without any problem so.
1: Well, we are finishing up a series today that yes. we have been talking about. We're going to jump right into the show, so we make sure that we have enough time to cover everything that you've got to unpack. We've been talking about personal injury claims in Georgia. Uh, if you have not listened to the last, what, two? Two. two. Pr- this two will two be the sh- third. This is the third in the series. Uh, definitely go back. Tons of very valuable, important information information. And today, we're going to pick right up with insurance company traps. And there is a lot,
0: I am certain. Well, this lecture, and I'll call it that because that's what this initially was, um, was put together in response to a doctor's uh, facility that reached out to me wanting to uh, put together kind of a seminar for their employees, for their staff, their office staff, the physical therapist. All the doctors as well to learn a lot more from the legal side of things, how, how this operates, how how we put things together from the beginning of a claim all the way through to the end of the claim. And the first part, we talked about the elements of a claim. We talked about insurance coverage. Uh, the second podcast, we covered treatment issues, medical bills, lost wages, and then we wrapped up with a kind of a summary of the claim value Uh, how that's generally determined by a jury. And and as as attorneys, what we look to in deciding what the expected outcome would be for a client, no matter what kind of case it may be. So as you said, we want to start today's topic with insurance company traps. And as you said, there are a ton of them. Uh, And I've had clients through the years that have been caught in some of these that came to me after they tried to handle their, their case on their own. And I've also had two times throughout the the course of the 25 plus years doing this that insurance companies have tried these things. And I laugh because when an adjuster will say something that, you know, I I know is purposely set up for one of these traps, of course, I completely deny it. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to agree to those terms. But the first one I want to talk about is recorded statements. Okay. Have you ever heard discussion about recorded statements after a car wreck claim or any other kind of insurance claim?
1: Well, I feel like This is when they call, they are recording, right? It's not a formal statement always, or maybe that's just my understanding of it, is that they are recording it and they're asking you a series of questions, some to trip you up right? Yes. They want to diminish right. the claim. So no matter what you say, they're recording it. And, and that's the first point of contact where they're going to try to diminish the claim.
0: Well, th- very purposely, they want to try and catch someone before an attorney's involved. And they want to say we're your insurance company or potentially we're the insurance company for the person involved in the wreck with you. And our job is to find out a little bit more about happening, what happened. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to record the conversation so we can make sure we, we kind of get all this in, in detail. And they'll start asking questions. And really, it's a script they're reading. And those questions are worded purposely, as you said, to try and minimize the value of the claim. Uh, I use this example because it's perfect. I had an adjuster that uh, actually a client that came to me after doing a recorded statement. They had some severe injuries, one that led to surgery, and we sent a demand letter along with the surgical records, surgical bills. It was a shoulder procedure. Everything supported the fact that the injury was caused in the wreck and everything supported the surgery was necessary. Well, the adjuster sent me a transcript of the recorded statement as well as the recording where they asked my client about their injuries. And one of the things they did, they asked, you know, we'll start from the top of your head, go all the way to your toes. Tell me every part of your body that was injured. And the client said, well, my head hurts a little bit, my my neck, and then really my shoulders kind of sore. And, And they diverted away from, well, going in depth about what was going on. Okay, so your neck, your head, your shoulders. Um, Well, I'll tell you what, we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the car. What kind of car were you driving? And the adjuster purposely never came back to follow up on the rest of the injuries, which also included a leg injury as well. So when it came time for the demand to be sent, and we did, one of the first things the adjuster did, they sent me a letter with an offer that was far below value And they justified it by saying, we spoke to your client only two days after the wreck, wherein they did not say anything at all about the severity of the shoulder injury. So if there's a need for surgery, clearly this was something that was caused after the wreck, but not as part of the wreck. So they tried to use the recorded statement where the client did not get to explain how severe that shoulder problem was to deny the the need for the surgery. Now, clearly the doctors overrode that with their records and the test and everything that showed that the surgery was... Uh, not only caused by it, but but absolutely necessary to try and, and deal with an issue that was caused in the wreck. So that recorded statement, without an attorney involved, they were asking questions. Now, as an attorney, if I had been part of that recorded statement, which typically I won't allow them, I would have immediately said, "Well, the, the medical records and bills will speak to the injury itself." My client's not a doctor, and even if they are. They're not treating themselves. That's being left to those professionals who are trained to deal with it. You can read what their records say once those are available.
1: So without an attorney involved, you, I would say, red flag, you absolutely don't want to do a recorded statement. No, don't they, say anything.
0: Right, until you make that decision. Now, if you okay. want to go on your own, I'm not going to tell you not to. Right. I would say it's not the best choice in the world. But ultimately, if there's an attorney involved, which there should be, then the attorney will make that decision based on the circumstances as to whether or not the the recorded statement is either warranted, required, or not necessary at all. And there are times when it's required, and I'm not going to go into that because that involves your own insurance coverage, but that recorded statement is never really intended to be what they tell you it's going to be, and that is to help you, um, I guess help them rather, uh, determine the value of your case and prepare for the eventual payment of your claim. In reality, like we've both said, it's there to minimize the extent and severity of the injuries and, of course, the need for some of the treatment.
1: All right. Next one, uh, medical authorization
0: forms. That's also a big no-no. Medical authorization forms, they're also known as HIPAA forms, Uh, without that HIPAA form, that authorization form, an insurance company cannot, and underline that word, get your medical records from your providers. So if you do provide a medical authorization form, most often those are worded in such a way that the adjuster can not only get all your current medical records from the car wreck, but also your prior medical records things that may have happened five years ago, ten years ago, or even longer. So if you sign that blanket medical authorization form and they do get your records from an ambulance, a hospital, an ER doctor, your primary care physician, your physical therapist, which is all relevant to the wreck, they're also going to go back in time and find prior records. So if four years prior to this wreck you woke up one morning and you felt some pain in your neck and you happened to have a doctor's appointment scheduled that day, and you went in, the doctor says, oh, how you feeling? Well, I kind of slept funny last night. My neck's a little bit sore. Well, that's all it was. It was a complaint about something in that very moment. You had no other treatment, no other follow-up care, no other complaints over a span of four years. And then you're in a violent car wreck and you have a true neck injury. Well, the adjuster, having gotten those prior medical records, is going to say, okay, this, this incident four years prior was where your neck problem began. The car wreck did not cause it. It may have exacerbated it or or aggravated the problem, but this isn't on us. This is something you've been dealing with for at least four years now. And that medical authorization gives them the liberty to go and get that. Now, as an attorney, I'm a filter. I know what they need to know, and I know what they don't need to know. So absolutely, without hesitation, if there's a request for a medical authorization form, and again, there are exceptions to everything, I, I'm not going to provide that. There's no need to. They'll have all the relevant medical information when my demand is sent with those records and bills related to the wreck. All right.
1: Moving on to the next one. And I have a copy of what was the lecture here. So yeah. I can guide uh, us continuing to move through this. Uh, fee scheduling. scheduling. How is that an insurance company trap?
0: So do you understand that term or have you ever heard that term? Do no, you know what that means? I don't okay. know
1: what fee scheduling, nope, I have and, no reference of that.
0: And most people don't know. So fee scheduling is a process. Health insurance companies do it all the time, as do car insurance companies. So if you go to a hospital, for example, and you get an itemized statement for everything that was done for you at the hospital, fee scheduling means they look at the dollar amount that the hospital charged for, let's say an x-ray, and let's say it's $300, and the fee schedule, meaning that the, the form that they look at, says that uh, an X-ray of a back should only be charged at a maximum of $200. So the hospital charges you $300, but the insurance company has their own little cheat sheet where they think, they think and that's a key word, that it should only be a maximum of $200 for that kind of X-ray. Well, what they're going to do is say, well, there was an X-ray done for $300. It should have only been $200, so we're going to fee schedule, or in other words, reduce this bill already by $100 based on that one thing. Um,
1: well, then, who's liable for the hundred?
0: Well, their argument is they're only responsible for what's reasonable and customary for the charges associated with your treatment, and their argument is it's not reasonable and customary to charge three hundred dollars where the fee schedule says it should only be a maximum of two hundred. So that's their argument. Now, as the attorney, my argument is, but for the fact your car, your 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 client drove into the back of my client's car. Say, for example, in a car wreck, my client would never have incurred any of these bills, regardless of the amount. So my client has incurred this expense based on your client's negligence, your insured's negligence. So there's no fee scheduling that I'm going to consider or allow in this argument. Doesn't mean they won't do it. They'll still do it in front of a jury. They'll have their own expert, a doctor, come in and talk about how, well, I've reviewed the bills, I've reviewed the records. In my opinion, this is far more than what the cost should be. A doctor should only charge X number of dollars for this kind of procedure. That's what's reasonable and customary in our area. So we're in metro Atlanta. In our area, it may be $200. In New York or California, some areas where the cost of living is a little more expensive, they may say, well, it's not 200 that's reasonable and customary. It is 300 This whole
1: thing, I'm sorry, it seems a little ridiculous. You so, would go to court and be arguing what the insurance... No,
0: what the doctor is charging. That's what,
1: right. You're, that's not even your argument. No.
0: But that's a way of trying to minimize the value of a claim. Think about it in these terms. If, if you've ever seen an insurance statement, they're uh, referred to as EOBs, estimates of benefit. Mm-hmm. You get those letters in the mail. You go to a doctor, say for a physical, and you get an EOB in the mail a week later where it says uh, the estimate of benefit. This is how much we're going to pay as your health insurance company. The doctor may have submitted a bill for $500, but the EOB may say $300. that has been fee scheduled from the 500 down to 300 and the doctor is going to collect that $300 and they're also going to get your copay say for example 50 bucks so they may collect a total of 350 even though their bill was more than that that's the amount from the insurance company that they're willing to pay as well as your copay whatever that amount may be
1: okay okay so no, if, i mean i understand it all i just think it's you know a it's, Medicare- it's a completely unnecessary Headache that would be involved in all of this.
0: Yeah, and Medicare and Medicaid are, are the worst at fee scheduling. Really? They pay very, very little, pay pennies on the dollar. But uh, the old adage is some money is better than no money at all for some of these facilities. And they do fight the battle on occasion, but not very often.
1: Okay. All right. Collateral sources. I am not certain how that fits into this and what that means.
0: So, a collateral source, there are a few different ones. One is what we call MedPay here in Georgia, medical payment coverage. It's kind of like health insurance on your car. I talked about that when I talked about uh, car insurance coverages. It's a way of getting your bills paid from a source other than the at fault driver's insurance company. Uh, another collateral source would be health insurance. Uh, say, for example, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Aetna, United Healthcare, whatever. That's your own personal health insurance company paying for your medical expense after a car wreck. That's a collateral source of insurance. Another would be uh, Medicaid, Medicare, if you're eligible for either one of those programs. So that's a different source other than the, the liability coverage for the at-fault driver that can or will step in and pay for your, your medical expense. In other states, they have what's known as PIP. PIP is Personal Injury Protection Uh, PIP will also pay for your lost wages or at least a portion of your lost wages in addition to your medical expense. So a collateral source is anything other than the car insurance for the at-fault driver. So what happens, kind of on a side note, is someone may have uh, MedPay on their car. And let's say, for example, it's $5,000 and they may be involved in a car wreck with someone else and that other person is at fault and they incur medical expense during the course of their treatment. Let's say it's $5,000. They can utilize that $5,000 in MedPay from their own car insurance as a collateral source to pay those bills they've incurred. And then when they settle their case with the at-fault insurance company, they're not having to use the proceeds at all from that recovery to pay those medical bills because it's already been paid by the MedPay. Well, that kind of wraps up really, I think, everything about collateral sources. But let's talk about the next one, and that is full releases. Have you ever heard that term before?
1: Well... Now I think I got caught in a trap because I've heard about it. I was in a car accident <laughs> 13 years ago now, and I signed a full release.
0: We didn't know each other ah, 13 years no ago. No, we we'll didn't. Point that out. No,
1: we didn't. And I've said that before. Like God, I wish I would have known you when I had my car accident because I was hit by a teenage driver not paying attention, ran a stop sign. I had my infant son; he was 11 weeks old in the back. Told him my car anyway. Uh, very traumatic event, but. I ended up signing a full release. Okay.
0: So a full release, and again, this is this is why it's listed as an in- insurance company trap. So let's say, for example, you're involved in a car wreck, and uh, let's say your seatbelt didn't work properly. And because of that, you wound up getting extensive injuries that you otherwise would not have had in that kind of collision. And you settle the claim with the insurance company for the person driving the car that hit you, the, what's known as the liability claim. And they send you a check. Let's say it's minimum coverage, $25,000. Your medical expenses are a couple hundred grand. It's a significant injury. So you accept that check for $25,000. Along with that check, they send you a full release. And you sign that. A full release means that you're not only closing out that that claim, that specific claim against that driver and their coverage of $25,000 that hit you, you're also closing out the opportunity to pursue any other potential claim arising from that wreck. So you fully think about it in those terms, close that claim completely and any other potential claim from that. As an attorney, absolutely not. We're not filing or signing a full release. If there is a chance uh, to identify or we have identified other insurance coverage or other at-fault parties, we'll do what's known as a limited release. A limited release only closes the claim as to that individual insurance coverage, that individual driver. So you can sign a limited release, close out that portion of the claim, and still be able to pursue the, the other claims, derivative claims, against maybe the manufacturer of the car, maybe some other negligent party if the person had been drinking and they left a restaurant or a bar and you want to pursue a dram shop case, which we have talked about before, you can do that because you've only done a limited release. Whereas the full release, unfortunately at that point you're done and the insurance company knows it and they'll use it.
1: Well, of course I did not have an attorney and would did have absolutely no idea. You can't sign, you know, you can agree not to sign it. And I didn't know there is even such thing as a limited release. So another reason you should hire an attorney. And I know we're going to dig into that in just a few minutes, but it just, everything you say, it's like, yes, it's just right, you know, right there. You've, got to call Derek. All right. Hiding punitives.
0: Okay. So hiding punitive damages. We've talked about this before. In fact, the, I believe the first podcast of the series and another podcast. So punitive damages are designed to punish someone for egregious conduct, conduct that's so bad, a jury is allowed to give you more money to punish that defendant to hopefully keep them from doing the same stupid thing again in the future. If you think about a DUI, reckless driving, hit and run, those are all examples of where punitive damages would come into play in a car wreck claim. Punitive damages again don't consider the, uh, you know, anything other than the punishment aspect of things. So you get the general damages, which would be the pain and suffering, uh, the dollar amount to compensate you you, for what you've been through. You get the special damages, which are intended to compensate you for your medical bills, your lost wages, things you have receipts for. And then on top of that, you get punitive damages to punish. It's more money. An insurance company is not going to tell you where there's an example of punitive damages available to you. A, A situation where a DUI or reckless driving, any of those things we've talked about, where they would be exposed to pay more money to you that's a trap because if you don't know to go after the punitive damages or even ask for them, they're not going to voluntarily tell you about it. They're going to hide it. Uh, You may get a police report and it shows that uh, someone was uh, arrested or detained at the scene. And you may not know to look into it to find right. out why. Sure, and it's because they were taken to the hospital and blood was taken, and it turns out they were, you know, high on some drug or they were uh, drunk as they could be driving that vehicle. And if you don't know what to do to follow up on that information, again, you may sacrifice significant value to your case. Absolutely, and get far. And they're not going to willingly
1: tell you no, this, of course, because they don't have no, to. They don't have to. And right. the less
0: you know, the better.
1: All right, diminution. Diminution and value. Diminution. I said Diminition. it correctly? Diminution and yes. value. Yeah,
0: it's, it's also referred to as diminished value. So think about this. You buy a brand new car, you drive it off the lot, you've been driving it for one week. Perfect car, still in great condition, and suddenly somebody rear-ends you. And it causes, say, $5,000 worth of damage to your car. Well, that car, which was a brand new car only a week ago, is now no longer worth what it would have been had it never been involved in a wreck. There's a diminished value to that vehicle. So I bought a car exactly the same time you did. I've had it for a week as well. After the wreck, you decide you want to sell your car because you're upset. The fact it had to be repaired. And I decide, you know what? I want to sell mine too. I'm going to get more money right. by definition for my car because it's never been wrecked before. Then you're going to get for your car that's had... 5000 or whatever the dollar amount may be worth of damage done to it in a car wreck. So that diminution in value is a claim to compensate you for now the diminished value of what your vehicle was worth before the wreck, as opposed to what the vehicle was as if it had never been involved in a wreck. And that's a lost claim, meaning that people don't know to ask for that. It's a lost opportunity to compensate you for what you uh, obviously loved and, and bought, and, and now it's no longer worth what it was before that wreck.
1: Okay. And there's compensation.
0: Correct. Right. Dollars attached to that diminished value of that that car. Now, there are all kinds of mathematical formulas people will talk about as to how to to calculate that diminished value, but really it kind of comes down to an expert opinion. And, And there's a way to get that done where they can look at it and say, before this wreck, it was worth X number of dollars and now it's not. And diminished value has a limited lifetime. If a car is X number of years old or has X number of miles on it, then... In reality, it's already diminished in value significantly because it was, you know, 10 years old with 200,000 miles on it. There's not much value left in that car. It may get you from point A to point B, but it's not worth what it was a week after you bought it. Just another reason you got
1: to have an attorney. I mean, there's just so much around every turn uh, when related to all this, every personal injury claim that uh, we just don't know. Without a law right. degree. So right. we are going to dig into this a little bit deeper because the next section and the final section wrapping up this three-week series is why hire an attorney? And I'm going to let you take it with maxi- maximize claim value. Okay.
0: So again, this was a lecture and this was done in such a way to educate people as to why an attorney is necessary. And This was a doctor's group of, of uh, as I said, doctors and, and people in their office. So the number one thing is maximize value. So as we've said multiple times now, there is nothing under the law that requires an insurance company to take you by the hand and say, you know what, we got to pay you this. Oh, and by the way, we got to pay you this. And yeah, we have to pay you that as well. The less you know, the better off they are. More dollars stay in their pocket, more dollars stay in their bank account. And that's their goal, to minimize the value. My job as an attorney, and any attorney, and this is why you go to an attorney, my job is to maximize that value to get as much as we can for every individual aspect of your claim. If it's a shoulder injury that required surgery, well, I'm going to get the maximum value of that. If there's also a neck injury that, that's significant now with long-term effects, I'm going to get the maximum value of that. If there was a drunk driver involved, I'm going to get the maximum value of punitives associated with what happened in your wreck. If there's a dram shop case, again, where someone sold alcohol or served alcohol to someone who they knew or should have known was intoxicated and allowed them to drive, well, I'm going to get the maximum value against them. My job as the attorney is to get the most money we can. And, and I'll say this. I always tell clients this, and it sounds funny, but it's true. The more money I get for you as a client, the more money I get for myself, period. And the reason why that's true is I work strictly on a contingency fee basis, period. So my contingency fee is based on the amount of money I put in your pocket. So the more I put in your pocket, my a greater settlement amount. The more money I'm putting in my pocket, I guarantee you I'm going to go after every dollar I can, because I want to maximize your money just like I do mine.
1: All right utilize collateral sources now we talked about collateral sources yes. and this is a big one yes. right and
0: people don't understand what to do to maximize and to utilize every single collateral source I reference the med pay for example uh, if you don't use that med pay you're throwing money away you've paid premiums on your car insurance coverage every month every three months six months however often you pay your premiums you've paid for that coverage and if you don't use it well you've kind of thrown money in a hole and, I, again, I'll tell clients, if you don't want to use your MedPay, then cancel it and let me become personally your MedPay carrier, and I'll charge you half of what they're charging every month. You just pay me what half of what you were paying them, and I'll be happy because I know full well you're not ever planning on using that. I'll collect a check from you, kind of like the insurance company does, for MedPay coverage, knowing that you're not going to use it. So why not? People don't understand the benefit of utilizing that collateral source. Health insurance, if your health insurance company is going to pay, utilize it. Let them pay because the health insurance plan, as we said, will pay a fee scheduled amount. Even if you have to reimburse money back to that health insurance company, you're only paying back what they paid, not what they were billed. So if they were billed 10 grand, they pay five. I'd rather pay 5,000 back to them if you're required to, as opposed to having to pay 10,000 to a doctor's office.
1: All right. The next one is probably... It's the deal with liens. So I'm thinking hospital liens, medical liens. This is probably the most intimidating for someone like me, the layperson, we've been in an accident. How do you go up against someone who works at the hospital who wants their money, and you're trying to negotiate because you didn't get enough out of a settlement? This is where the attorney comes in.
0: Right. Leans can come in in many different forms. Uh, The the one that's always a big red flag is a
1: hospital lien. That's what I was referring to. Hospitals are given a right
0: to pursue a lien aggressively, and they will, uh, for the full amount of the bill after a car wreck. That lien's not enforceable against the person that caused the wreck. That lien is enforceable against you, the victim of that wreck, the one that incurred that bill. So as the attorney, I have to address that lien first and foremost with the hospital uh, to reach out to them, let them know I'm involved. If we don't, then there's a chance they may go ahead and file suit against you if you've not paid that lien within a reasonable amount of time. You may not have settled your case, but yet that hospital is already aggressively pursuing litigation against you for a bill that you owe because of somebody else's negligence. Uh, So with that being said, my job is to make sure that we address that lien, number one, and then also to work with doctor's offices to get the additional care you may need on a lien basis, meaning that the doctor's office will do what they need to do to get you well, but agree to postpone their payment until the claim is eventually resolved. And a lien is a mechanism of doing that where all the treatment, tests, any follow-up physical therapy, chiropractic treatment can all be done without paying out of pocket as you go but again, postponing that payment by way of a lien until the case is eventually resolved. So I not only know how to deal with the liens that are existing, but also to to provide the liens with you and the doctors, uh, the facilities to, to allow your treatment to continue without the out-of-pocket expense that would come with it normally.
1: I think every single one of these is a huge value to someone with any kind of personal injury claim. But for me personally, that's the one that, uh, that's got the big star on it for me. Just dealing with the liens. It's just, it's overwhelming and it's intimidating. And, you know, if somebody just says no, it's like, well, okay, I guess I got to pay it, you know, but anyway, having that attorney right there to fight for you to know what's going on, uh, that is complete. That's, that's the value. All right. Finding all the insurance. We've talked about this many times, uh, all the different insurance. There's been a lot of different podcasts about it. Um, Just knowing every single area, every single place, reading the policies, knowing the dollar amounts that are behind what. Sure. I'll I'll
0: give you a perfect example, and this is one I'm dealing with currently. Uh, There's a a wreck and someone severely injured in a car wreck, severely injured, and there's minimal coverage on on the at-fall driver. Very little coverage available but in their household, they have UIM, which is underinsured motorist coverage. UIM is intended to provide additional money above and beyond whatever the limited coverage was for the at-fault driver. So we look, first of all, to any cars within the household, mom, dad, brother, sister, those kinds of things. And through that coverage, we found two policies that have UIM. What we also discovered was that uh, a grandfather who is uh, now living there at at the home with them had his own separate car that had coverage. And so with that being a household blood relative, and it's called the resident relative statute, we were also able to pull the coverage from the grandfather, the UIM, on top of the family UIM. So it was a, a policy Again, insurance that we found that now adds an additional amount of money to a claim that otherwise had very minimal money available to compensate uh, my client who went through, again, a very severe injury and and still will be dealing with this for quite some time. Also, if you think about other insurance, finding all insurance, there may be umbrella policies. Uh, If it's a commercial vehicle, there may be an umbrella policy. If it's a professional uh, licensed, someone who's part of a a, a business, an attorney, a doctor, an accountant, they may have an umbrella policy, which is more coverage above and beyond their liability coverage. So my job is to make sure we get all the insurance we can on the table, and we always refer to it as that big pot of money. We put every bit of money we can in that pot, and then we reach in there and pull out every single penny possible to compensate our client that also goes to the next one which is finding all the value drivers things like the DUI the reckless driving the hit and run a significant history of claims if it's someone who's habitually reckless and dangerous when they drive that's a big term habitually habitually reckless and dangerous then that again opens the door to some additional damages For and I,
1: I would have no idea Right. have a look for any of this. Um, so I said uh, dealing with the liens was my most important, but finding all the insurance, oh, I would never know. I wouldn't know where to start. And there I wouldn't letters. know how to read the policies. Right. So all of this, there yes. having Letters to
0: send, code sections to cite, uh, case law to cite that requires, and that's a key word, requires the insurance company to disclose this. If you don't send the appropriate letter with the appropriate language, they're not going to do it because they don't have to, period. Big truck claims. So Next big truck one. claims. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this one. And, and it's so in-depth that it would take an entire show. But there are so many things that disappear very quickly. It's spoilation is the word uh, when a big truck is involved in a car wreck. So there's an anti-spoilation, which means a uh, a letter we send that prevents them from either destroying logbooks, uh, bills of lading, weight certificates from when they stopped at weight uh, stations. Uh, time logs from when they started driving that day until the wreck occurred because people don't realize that there are limitations that are placed on what truck drivers are allowed to do. Uh, There are rules, rules of the road they have to abide by, the certain number of hours they can drive, uh, the log book that has to be maintained accurately and completely. So if a, a truck driver logs in at a certain day at a certain time at one location and they say they only drove, say, six hours, but yet they wind up at a location that by going the speed limit would require 10 hours to get there well they fudge the numbers in the logbook. but if that logbook's no longer maintained or somehow some way was was spoiled or the spolation occurred then it disappears and we're not able to fight that battle so it's even more important when a big truck a tractor trailer or a company vehicle is involved in a wreck to make sure that early on we're involved to get these things to prevent that from happening so you also prepare
1: as if for trial. That's for the entire case, right? Right. You're working every angle as if this is going to a jury.
0: That's one of the most important jobs of any attorney, and that is to prepare your case from the very beginning as if you're going to trial. Not that you want to go to trial, not that you expect to go to trial, but as if you have to go to trial, you better be ready. So every letter I send, every demand letter I send, every conversation I have with an adjuster, the angle is we're ready to file and we will unless you do this. This is where we're headed. Uh, We send a a policy limits demand, for example, in a case, and if they don't pay the limits within the requisite period of time, then I have to be ready to file suit the very next day. It's a 30-day window. By the 30th day, if they've not paid and I've threatened to file suit, I'm going to do it, period, because I need to make sure that they understand we're not only preparing this for trial. I am mean, not even, uh, pursuing the claim, but we're preparing it as if we are are going to have to go to trial. And they need to see that preparation. They need to see that work. They need to know that I know the file better than they do. And if they reference a specific medical record or treatment or some previous complaint my client had, it's not going to hit me like a curveball. I'm ready and can respond directly to what they've just said. Yeah, I'm very familiar with that, and here's why. And this is what we're going to do to address that. And then suddenly they realize, well, yeah, he does know what he's talking about. He does know the facts of the claim. Uh, so, again, it's as if we're ready to go to trial for the purpose of maximizing the value. An empty threat means nothing to an insurance company. But a threat that can be and has been backed up time after time after time, suddenly the credibility is there. And they realize, you know what, he's going to do it. So we better we better go ahead and act as he's, as he's told us.
1: So I have a question. That's not part of this. We're almost at the end of, of what was the lecture is what you just said, preparing as if for trial, is that a Derek Hayes trait or is that a law trait, a, a lawyer trait? And I guess I'm asking, do you see other lawyers that aggressively work their cases?
0: No, no. And, and I'm, I'm saying that because I've had many, many cases through the years that had a prior attorney that for whatever reason became disgruntled. They were, there was no communication. They felt like uh, you know they had an argument with the attorney, whatever it may have been, and they've come to me. And I've inherited basically a file that was started by a prior attorney. And I've told you this personally before that there are times when I feel like I'm doing more work to go back and fix what was either not done or done incorrectly by that prior attorney. And, and I've seen it many, many times over the 25 plus years. There are attorneys that will just jump through the hoops. Yeah, okay, let's send that letter. Yeah, okay, let's do that. You know what? We'll get to that. We'll do that later. And they're missing out on an opportunity to do a, a tremendous service for their client, to maximize the recovery by taking the reins. And, and I've said this to uh, probably to you and to many other clients through the years. You have two choices. You can let the insurance company take the reins and drive where this case is going to go and follow all the way. Or as the attorney, you can take the reins and make them follow you. Preemptively, you know, address things that you know are coming before the adjuster even has a chance to, to deal with it. So, I personally take that approach. If if I'm taking the lead and that adjuster's having to follow me, they're going to see that. Not only through the beginning of the case, but all the way through to the end of the case, even if it's a trial. So if I go into a courtroom to try a case, and, and I have many times, I would have no, re, no hesitation to walk across the, the courtroom and, and talk to the defense attorney and say, you know, I know your case better than you do.
1: Okay. Not as a I just I had I had that thing, feeling and but, I just I don't know I wanted to hear you say it. But because, it's because yeah. I truly feel like that's the
0: most way the best way to be prepared. In fact, preparing for trial, I'll many times to look to see what their arguments are mm-hmm. before I even look at what my arguments are going to be. Because the best attack sometimes is that counterattack to preemptively strike before they get to what they think is going to be their best best uh, approach.
1: Well, that's why you are phenomenal at what you do. And the last one is, uh, why hire an attorney 40% greater recovery?
0: Yes. That's and huge. That's, that's not my statistic. I, I've said this many times, and I'll say again. That's not something I just randomly came up with. Insurance commissioners uh, that have come and gone here in Georgia, and even statistics throughout the country, show that on average it's a 40% greater recovery in pocket, in pocket for a client that's represented by an attorney, as opposed to someone who tries to deal with this on their own it's because of all those reasons we've talked about. The ability to maximize the value, to utilize the collateral sources, to deal with the liens, to find every little bit of insurance coverage there may be, including those hidden policies, to look at value drivers, to deal with anti-spoilation when it comes to big trucks, and even to prepare for trial. All those things collectively lead to a greater recovery. And again, the statistics bear that out. So if you think that an insurance company's offered you a fair value to settle a claim and you've tried to handle it on your own, what you think may be fair in reality may be far less than what the significant true value of that claim is. And it's my job as an attorney, as your attorney, to look into every single aspect here and to do just that, to maximize that value for you. And again, statistics bear that out.
1: All right, Derek, we're going to close, but I need you to tell all your listeners how can they find you, how can they submit questions for the podcast, and specifically if they have a case, if they've been injured and they have a question or would like representation, how do they find Derek Hayes?
0: The best way, the first way really to, to get out to or get reach me is to go to my website. It's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew, and then Hayes, H-A-Y-S dot com. So DerekMHays.com. On my website, you'll see a chat feature that will pop up. You can chat directly with my office about a potential case or a question you may have. You can also see the podcast tab. On the podcast tab, you can submit a question, like she said, or suggest a topic for a future show, or make comments about some of the shows I've done in the past. And then also, too, you can email me directly. There's, a, a, a again, a tab on my website where it says, send an email about a potential case. And you can fill out a very basic form. To give me some details about what may have happened, I ask that you include your phone number, maybe your first name if you don't give your last name, and I will personally be the one to call you. I will reach out to you. We'll discuss your potential case, talk about what I can do to, to help you, uh, and then hopefully give you some advice to, to uh, you know move forward in your claim. If it's not something that I handle, I may potentially give you the, the name of an attorney that can help you with that. Uh, but definitely reach out to me through my website first. Also, too, you can call my office. My phone number is 404-777-hurt or 678-225-0970 or my social media platforms there's a law office of Derek M Hayes on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. I think Instagram
1: is Derek M Hayes Law Office.
0: Okay, there we go. It
1: it is a little bit different. Okay. Okay. Well, Derek, thank you so much for your time. Thanks you for your expertise. And thank you for sharing all this knowledge with us. We yeah, absolutely. absolutely appreciate it week after week. And thank you for listening and for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Life with Lita and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of these episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on Apple I iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.